someone want to do me a favor and hit those uh, lights? You know, it's interesting. When you create communities and everybody's got a, a job, when people are missing, uh, it becomes really apparent, doesn't it? So um, if you didn't know who does that, Alan usually does that. And this week he's in Abilene um, visiting his family. That's where he's from. His dad has a, uh, a tumor. And uh, so he's up there visiting his dad. In fact, you may feel like we have a lot of people um, feeling the blues because it's cloudy outside and, um, and, well, you lost an hour of sleep. So everybody get caffeinated. Everybody buckle up because, uh, <laughs> yeah, hi, because we're going to have a good time this morning. Um, I'm going to start here. I was on... The <laughs> yeah, that's why you just, just stay on that slide till I call it up, okay? You got it. Cool. I was on the most bombed island of World War II. In fact, that specific space of Earth had been the most bombed space of Earth in history even till right now. In terms of explosive per square foot, there is nothing like it. But because it's in the tropics, a lot of things had grown back. In fact, I went camping on a mile-long barracks on the top floor, which was the third floor, of this shelled-out concrete shell. And there are caves in this place and pillboxes, and you can still see the charredness from flamethrowers going through the space. And if you don't know the island that I'm talking about, it's a little island in the Bay of Manila in the Philippines called Corregidor. Corregidor Island. And I got to go camping there, and I loved my time there. And one of the things that I experienced, you know, because you can still explore a little bit, even though there are some guided tours that you're supposed to stay within the parameters, I'm not necessarily always the best listener. Anybody there? Yeah, so I ventured out a little bit more than I probably should have. But one of the coolest things that I saw, and I don't know if you've ever experienced this, was I saw the, sh- the side of old uh, Jeeps and, and these metal vehicles. And I saw where they had been shot. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen this, but one side was shot with a either a shrapnel situation or a shotgun situation. And so it had all these little tiny dents on one side. But the other side was shot with something like a rifle or a, a, a larger uh, caliber gun. And it went all the way through the metal and, in fact, out the other side. And so it looked like it had been you know, fully punched through with these shards of metal sticking out, and if you touch them, you'd probably get, um, you know, tetanus or something, so don't touch it. But, um, you know, the point being, some of these holes were punched, but not all the way through. And some of them were all the way through with a big, gaping hole. And... um, This week, we're starting a brand new series called Above the Ceiling. And it's all about prayer, 
And I think sometimes we feel like when we pray, it's bouncing off the ceiling and back to us. Anybody ever feel like that? Anybody ever pray and you feel like, I don't even know who I'm praying to or why I'm doing this? Sometimes we pray because it's in our heart to just pray. When you have no other answers, you, 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 just, you have nothing left, so you pray. Other times we get to be a little bit more intentional about how we pray. And so over this series leading up to Easter, my hope is that um, we start seeing our prayer not like those shotgun and shrapnel pieces that make a dent but don't go all the way through. We're going to punch some holes because our prayer is meant to go far above the ceiling to the space where God's spirit is pouring out his presence in your life and in my life and in our world. We need to move that. Let's try that. You guys feeling the feedback? Is there rumbling in your chest? No. Should I, should I talk louder so it rumbles in your chest? Um, well, let's do this. Let's pray for just a second, and then we'll jump into the rest of this. Father God, we thank you for this morning. We pray for each and every person that is here in this place. May your spirit tell them exactly where they are. God, would we have such an encounter with you this morning, with your spirit, with all that you are, that we leave here having been fundamentally changed. May we experience the sweetness of your presence and the fullness of your presence in our hearts and in our lives. And may it be so transformative that where we are dark, there would be light. Where we are callous, there would be softness. Where we are hurt, there would be healing. Where there is bitterness, there would be forgiveness. God, we, we ask you to show up and do all your thing this morning, and I pray that we get out of the way. In Jesus' name, amen. So, um, we're going to look at a piece of scripture every week from a prayer in John chapter 17, where Jesus is praying, and his disciples are obviously overhearing him pray. And he's not only praying just to God, he's praying for his disciples that he's with. And so it's kind of, he's praying his prayer, but he's in the midst of everybody praying. Um, and so what we're going to learn is that Jesus is given all authority from God. All authority. And he gives that to you. And to me, in fact, he prays for unity, the same unity that he has with God, that we would have with God. What we're going to learn is that he doesn't pray these really wide, uh, flowery prayers. He prays really direct prayers, kind of like the difference between a shotgun that has a wide net and hits a few spots versus a rifle that hits its target punches through. Um, I want to say on your seat for each and every one of you is a pray first guide. Uh, you're probably wondering what that is. 
that is for you to take. It's a 21-day prayer guide. It's just a tool to get you to start thinking about prayer, different ways of praying, different prayers in Scripture. But I ask that you do it every day. It's, it's outlined by days, and it's here to teach us how to start, lead, and run with prayer from the very kind of core of who we are. And, um, and so in this series, we're also going to have some experiences. My hope is that when you're in Way Group next week or this week when you're meeting, that you spend a good amount of time praying for each other and with each other and lifting up burdens together. Um, on April 6th, we're going to have our first ever prayer and worship night here in this space. We're going to have the launch team from our Gerald Church. We're going to have the San Marcos Church and our church. And I hope we pack this. I did not do that. I hope we pack this space out. And obviously, the Spirit's doing something, right? Everybody's awake now. Amen. So here's what we're going to do. We're actually going to spend some time writing our prayers out. Because when you claim it, what we're going to learn this morning, when you claim it with the authority given to you, it packs a punch. It breaks through and creates holes for the spirit to move in ways that otherwise would be shut out. So let's jump in this morning to John 17. After saying all of these things, Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so he can give glory back to you. Incidentally, the word glory there means reveal. It's the same word as the word reveal, right? So reveal your son so he can reveal um, you back, essentially. For you have given him, everybody say this, this is important, authority over everyone. Authority over everyone. He gives eternal life to each one you have given him. And this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. I brought, you, I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, bring me into glory we shared before the world began. Here's the thing. As Christians, we pray in the authority of of Jesus Christ. That's why we end the prayers. You ever, you know, wonder why in Jesus' name we pray, right? Why do we pray it that way? Because it depends whose authority you're praying in. And we actually get to pray with the authority of Jesus Christ. Now, what we're going to find over the next few weeks in this series is he prays for very, some very specific things in this prayer. He prays for you, future believers. He prays for those of his disciples that are with him at the table. He prays for God to be revealed. He prays for future healings and salvation. He prays for courage. He prays for some very specific things. But he prays it because he knows the one who's given him the authority. If he doesn't have that relationship with God, there's nothing that's going to happen. So um, I want to describe a scene, and maybe you can see yourself in this. Um, 
Anybody sit at the table and you pray before you eat? Right? Now, I'm going to get into the history of that a little bit later in another message. But when you sit at the table, is there someone who says the same prayer every time? Like it's essentially the same words. God, thank you for this wonderful food which we are about to eat and the hands that prepared it. May it go down and digest well and bring strength to us all. In Jesus' name, amen. Right? Anybody? That's like maybe not that exact prayer, but that kind of thing is the prayer you pray at the dinner table. And it's just a recital. There's no like, there's no power in that. There's, there's nothing there. You know why? Because that's just a recital. So when Jesus teaches his disciples to pray when uh, the Lord's Prayer, the one that we recite, he says, don't pray like the pagans, like the Gentiles. They recite all these things, but it's shallow and empty and hollow. Why? Because they get these flowery languages. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to say we want peace on earth or we wish people good health or these general flowery kinds of, God, would you just bring peace to all mankind? Yeah, that's great. Those are good prayers. But a lot of times we're reciting something because we're not actually bringing something from our soul to the table. We're babbling on words in front of other people, but it's not packing a punch. It's just maybe making a couple of little indentations on the ceiling because we're not praying with authority. We're not praying with purpose, and we're not praying from the depth of who we are. One of the things that um, I feel like as Christians, and for me personally, I always feel like when I pray earnestly, right, when I'm, I'm praying those gut-wrenching prayers that you don't tell other people about, you guys know what I'm talking about? Like from the, I always wonder, God, why hasn't this moved? Why hasn't this transpired? Why aren't I seeing progress? And I wonder if it's because when I'm with people at the table, I don't do those gut-wrenching prayers. I do those flowery, recital kind of prayers that don't actually do much. I think one of the reasons why when I'm praying, I don't see movement, or when we are praying, we don't see movement, is because we are not engaging God with the authority that he has given us. And so, I'm, again, I'm not saying you shouldn't pray over your food or bless the food. Um, Do you ever see somebody, like, say, say grace? They don't even say the word pray for the food. Say grace. First of all, the food was already blessed from the very beginning. And you're sitting at the table because God has already provided. So if you want to say anything at the table like that, and you're not going to get into those gut-wrenching prayers, then just say gratitude, because that's really what we should be saying, that God has continued to provide for us. So sometimes we're not engaging God with the authority we've been given. We're practicing these flowery recitals and these well-wishing thoughts. And sometimes I think we're asking for the wrong things in the name of Jesus. 
Because when I'm asking just for what I want, rather than what also God wants, and then I say, this is what I really want. I've never talked to you about it, God. I don't know if you even care about this, but this is what I want. And in your name, bless what I want. That's a scary proposition that you would be invoking the God of the universe with all of his power and goodness to just give you what you want. But I can remember, all right, we've got a couple of younger kids in here, and maybe you can remember uh, a time. I, I can remember the exact day, what I was wearing and what I was doing. This was, I'm old, so this was when... Um, video game systems just first started coming out. And I can remember sitting on my waterbed. Yes, I had a waterbed. I'm a child of the 80s. Come on. I was sitting on my waterbed, and I prayed, God, give me a television in my room and a Nintendo so I can play Contra when my parents are asleep. Right? Anybody else been there? Maybe it's not video games, but you can think of something that is so shallow and so petty that you prayed for in the name of Jesus to provide just for you some nicety, right? Some extravagance that doesn't actually bless anyone else. Can I tell you that God does want to bless you? God does want to provide for you. God does want to give you the deep desires of your heart, but according to the Psalms, when we put our trust in Christ, he puts the desires of his heart in us. And when we're praying those types of prayers, it's not just a blessing for me, it's a blessing for me and those around me and the world that is around us. It's an outward movement. So sometimes we're praying the wrong things in the name of Jesus. And sometimes we're praying the right things with no power. Because we don't necessarily believe or trust that we have been given the authority that we have been given. So there have been times where I have prayed for healing for someone and thought in the back of my head, I don't think they're going to get better. And that is scary, my friends. Because he says, if you have the faith to move a mountain, it can move. That's the type of authority we get to walk in. So I don't ever want to pray a prayer for healing or for addictions to be broken or for forgiveness to be had. I don't want to ever pray for creativity, for how to use my resources to bless the world without the authority that has been given. Because then all of the sudden, it puts up a barrier instead of breaking them down. Thankfully, I've grown a little bit in my faith these days to where I don't think that way anymore. But I can remember the moments where I have been there. Has anybody else been there? You've said a prayer that you thought this was nice, but that's never going to happen? I see head nods. Let's be a little bolder. Have you ever prayed a prayer that you did not think was ever going to happen? 
So this is an issue here, right? Because if we're praying with the authority of the Almighty, we should believe that miracles can and will and do happen. And my prayer for us as we journey the next six weeks to Easter is that the miracles do start happening, that we do start seeing them. But as we're going to find today, there are some caveats along the way. So sometimes we're praying for the right things with no power. And sometimes we aren't listening. What I have found out in prayer or about prayer is that it is as much listening, sometimes infinitely more listening, than it is asking for God to do something. And so it is important for me to share with you guys that when we are listening we allow the Holy Spirit to move, to lead, to help, to create ways where there are no ways. So over this series, my ask for all of us is going to be that we pray very specific, bold prayers with the authority that breaks barriers. Would you guys agree to try that at least with me as a grand experiment? Okay? And I'm going to be like asking some bold faith steps to actually write them down and claim with authority that God wants to do something in these areas. We may not know what it is yet, but we want to bring this petition, this thing to God, and listen for what the Holy Spirit is wanting to do and then buckle up because some amazing things can happen. So number one, we pray with the authority of Christ. Number two, we don't need to be afraid that our prayers bounce off the ceiling rather than reach above it. I'm convinced that God wants to show his glory, his presence. He wants to be revealed through you and through me. And some of us in the room have some incredible God-inspired dreams. My guess is somebody in this room has a dream for a $10 million business in their heart right now that God has given them, right? I have a belief that some of you have a dream for a type of relationship that God has inspired you to have, and it's not yet a reality. The thing is, God wants to show off his glory and his love through each and every one of us. God puts visions and dreams in his heart, but sometimes we stay at the starting line rather than jumping in because we are uncertain that God can come through bigger than my finances, bigger than my resources, bigger than my abilities, and I call that gap the miracle gap. Can I, can I just share with you something? When I was touring around and speaking at churches before we actually started Wayfinders, I shared with these other churches that I had a dream for a church that was a multiplying church that multiplied into other churches. And, and I had dreams for this church to be so life-giving and altering into the community that we were a part of that it would not only grow and, and have you know, multiplying leaders and disciples, but that we would see these life transformation things happen where addiction was beaten, where relationships were restored, where forgiveness was found, where healing was found, where we would find complete and utter breakthrough 
in people's lives. And I said, I don't know how to do that. So God gave me this vision up here. And what I brought to the table was down here. And that's the miracle gap. I don't know what it is that God has given you for a vision and a dream, but I do know this. He wants to close that gap, but sometimes we don't even move past the starting line because all we're seeing is our resources, our abilities, our finances, and yet he's the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hillsides, right? That's what the scripture says. He says everything in heaven and on earth is his. So you're telling me we, we keep ourselves at the starting line because we don't see how the resources are going to come? Do you know what my mentor said? He said the resources are in the harvest. And then he quoted this story from Luke where uh, the disciples walk into the temple and have to pay a tax and they don't have any money. And so Jesus tells Peter to go and throw a line in at the lake and catch a fish and open the fish's mouth and in the fish's mouth is going to be a coin. Acts of faith and obedience lead to the breakthroughs that we see happen. But when we stop at the starting line, looking at what, you know, what we believe may not ever happen because the dream God gave us is bigger than our finances, resources, and abilities, we start saying, I shoulda, coulda, woulda. I shoulda done that, I coulda done that, and then years down the road, we're stuck. We're so focused on the facts that sometimes we forget that prayer is about faith and seeing things move. And so we're paralyzed at the starting line, and eventually you stop letting yourself dream God dreams. You start stopping yourself before you ever begin to hope that that thing could change or that dream could become a reality. So we pray with the authority of Jesus Christ, and we don't need to be afraid that our prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. He wants to raise us up. He wants to reveal his glory through us. Number three, prayer is aligning ourselves with God's desires. One of the reasons why I think when I pray these really wide, flowery kinds of prayers is because I don't know what to pray for. Anybody been there? Like, you know you should pray, but you don't know what to pray. You have things in your life that because you stopped at the starting line, you, you're struggling to even believe that God can come through or, or deliver something on the other side. And so you, you, just, you just stop. What I know, though, is that God has these promises that provide for the long term. God has these hopes and dreams to reveal God's goodness and love through you and me. And when we spend time in prayer, having a conversation with God and actively listening for what God is wanting to do, all of the sudden, it aligns me with what God is up to in the world. And so then I get to start praying things that are on God's heart. And I begin to have a creativity to solve things that are in God's heart. Can I tell you a, a story in the Bible? It's one of the most profound stories in my mind. Not just this part of the story, but it's a big story. It's from Joshua. You guys 
probably have heard that name, but it's a book in the Old Testament, and it tells the story of a leader named Joshua who was leading the people of God from the wilderness into the land flowing with milk and honey, the promised land that God had promised to deliver them. And they had been out in the wilderness for 40 years. A generation of people had died off, and Joshua was given the reins of leadership for this massive tribe of people. And they cross a river that is the barrier to the land that they're supposed to possess. And they get on the other side, and the first thing they see is the giant city of Jericho. And Jericho is about a, a mile and a half in diameter, okay, with 12 to 16 foot thick walls that are on average 16 to 18 feet high, okay? They're made of stone and brick, I mean, and caked mud and a little bit of tar, but for the time, we're talking massively fortified walls. And God had given them this dream of possessing the land that they are walking into. And here they come to this fortified city with all of its warriors and its giant wall. And it says that the gates are shut tight. And all of the strong men and warriors are on the wall. That's the first thing we see when we take a step of faith. When you're praying, though, what you find out is that God has already given you a way through whatever barrier it is that you are facing. Whatever thing that is in front of you, God has already provided provided all of the resources necessary to conquer that, to get through that, to overcome that obstacle. And so here's what happens. I love this story. Joshua is in prayer with God, and God gives him the most insane, ridiculous plan of all time. Hey, Joshua, Here's what you're going to do. You're going to get all of the warriors and all the priests, and you're going to parade around the city once every day for six days. You're just going to parade everybody around the city. Just march. You're not going to say anything. You're not going to shoot any bows and arrows. You're not going to draw any swords. You're not going to have any, like, you're just going to parade around the city. And then... On the seventh day, you're going to parade seven times. So you're just going to keep marching all the way around the perimeter of this space for seven times. And then you're going to stop. The trumpets are going to blast. All the musicians are going to play. All of the warriors are going to draw their swords. And they're going to scream at the top of their lungs. And the walls will come crumbling down. And you will enter the city and take over. Battle one. Now, can you imagine? <laughs> you're Joshua. You hear this in prayer, this ridiculous plan that there, I mean, 
it's absurd. Can we just say that? Even the, 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 you know, the physics of it alone, if you try to get into the physics of it, it is an absurd story. Okay? Can you imagine? He calls in the leaders of all of his different warrior groups, his different regiments and his, his tribe leaders and his clan leaders, and he sits in a room with a few hundred of his key leaders, and he says, hey, guys. I've been talking with God, and great news. This highly fortified place in front of us that we believe God has given us and the life flowing with milk and honey and all the good resources that are in this land that God says are actually ours, I know it seems like this place is crazy and that their warriors are going to kill us, but here is the plan, and it's a doozy. You ready? We're just going to walk around it for six days doing nothing but walking, and on the seventh day, we'll walk a lot, so everybody will be good and tired before we try to have a battle. That sounds super smart. And then we'll yell, and God's going to give us the city. It's just that easy. Are you kidding me? Can you imagine trying to explain? How many of you, if you are sitting, hearing that plan, you're like, Joshua, uh, bro, are you sure you heard from the Lord because there was a peyote place just down the road. Maybe you were hearing something else. Because that is crazy. <laughs> Sometimes when you get a vision and a dream of what God wants to do. A healing. A restoration. A change. And you speak it out loud to someone, to the people that you are talking to, it will completely sound ridiculous. But when you are speaking it out loud, you are laying claim to the prayer and you are speaking it with authority because once I've said it out loud to you, it's no longer some fictional mythical thing in my heart or in my head it is now a prayer that is out here verbalized and sometimes that's the step of faith that is necessary to lay claim with the authority of Christ of what God is really wanting to do so you might be sitting here thinking I've had this dream I know God has asked me to do this thing I've never told anyone the reason why you are not having victory in those things is because you have not, with authority, claimed them for yourself or for God's kingdom or for us as a church. You have to tell what God is doing. And sometimes when we're looking up at the facts and we see fortified walls and gates shut tight and warriors on top, we fail to realize that we are a part of a much bigger story. I'm going to tell you three quick things leading up to this story that amaze me. First off, right before Joshua hears this plan from the Lord in Joshua chapter 5, does anybody know that part? He's walking into the camp, and he sees a stranger along the road. The stranger actually happens to be an angel who is the leader and commander of the Lord's army. Not the Israelite army, the Lord's army. 
So it's this angel that's right there, and he says, are you friend or foe? And he says, nah, neither. I'm not for you. I'm not against you. I'm with him. And where you're standing is holy ground. And so Joshua takes off his shoes because he realizes he's about to hear from God, and he wants to spend some time with God. I imagine that the crazy plan happened as he is shoes off, trying his hardest to hear and connect and be with God. Check it out. Even further back, this is what's really cool. In Joshua chapter 1, when Joshua is being installed as the leader, listen to what it says. The Lord says to him, I have promised you what I have promised Moses. I think this is going to be up on the screen. Wherever you set foot, you will be on land I have given you. God's already provided it. And then he says, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey the instructions Moses gave to you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left, that you will be successful in everything you do. Verse 9 says, this is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord, your God, is with you wherever you go. See, we're praying for something that God already has seen and wanted and planned and prepared for. We get to have strength and courage to walk into it. He promised Joshua what he promised Moses, that wherever his footstep, he would claim that land. So the only thing that could keep Joshua from taking a hold of the life and leading people into the space and life that God had for him was himself, not walking forward. I think that's a key for us as we begin to pray. Now, here's the crazy thing that I didn't realize till this week. I didn't put it all together, right, which is kind of tough. The city of Jericho is in the land that was promised to the Israelites. Does anybody remember the name of that land outside of the promised land? Canaan. It's the name Canaan. The land of Canaan gets traced all the way back to the story of Noah. Noah had three sons. His youngest son, after they had landed and the flood dissipated, came in and um, saw his dad um, undressed, passed out, and walked out of the tent making fun of him. The older brothers honored their dad and came in and they covered him and they walked out of the tent. When Noah found out, his youngest son, Ham, had a son named Canaan. He says, this is the result of this. Canaan will be a broken place and will serve his brother. So the land of Canaan is the land of mistakes and regret and sin and brokenness. The land of Canaan isn't just a physical space, but a space that represents all that is wrong with us. And the promise of God from Abraham some 600 years earlier to Joshua 
is that God would provide a way to restore and redeem and reclaim all that is broken and all that is sinful and all that is messed up. This prayer had been going on for 600 years. How many of our prayers do we give up when we don't get immediate results? You think you're in a season? Your season is not 600 years. Amen? But our season together may be 600 years. We don't know when the seeds of grace are going to populate with a tree that covers with a canopy that changes the landscape of where we are. We don't know that for our lives. We don't know that for our city. But what we do know is this. When we are praying, we're aligning with what God is wanting to do. And that promise that was made hundreds and hundreds of years ago is a promise for you and me. Just like the promise Jesus prays in John chapter 17. That all authority is given. And that all who believe and reveal the Christ have eternal life, a higher life that is punched through the ceiling, nothing holding us back from what God is wanting to reclaim. Prayer gets answered in all kinds of weird ways, but there's some roadblocks. There's some roadblocks, and every week I want to explore some roadblocks with you. The first roadblock is this. You ever look at um, your phone for navigations? And then you get to see like a sea line of red in front of you. And it says, exit the highway here. We have a faster route. And, and you get off and, and, and you start finding this faster route. And you're like, ha, suckers on the highway. Because we don't want to sit in a sea of red. Sometimes I reduce down prayer to turn by turn GPS directions. God, just tell me where to turn. And I turn God into this resource like my phone rather than the relationship who wants to reveal what needs to change in me and what needs to change in our world and where God is at work restoring and redeeming and reclaiming. Sometimes I reduce down the almighty to a commodity so that I don't have to sit in a sea of red. And sometimes God may want us in the sea of red so that when we get through it, we have something else to bring to the table when we're connecting up with someone else. So the trial that we go through now might actually be to benefit someone else. You see, when we're in prayer, we get aligned, and then we get these weird answers that may not be the answers that we want, but when we're laying claim to the territory God has given us with all authority, my mind is right to understand the situation. And rather than seeing boarded up gates and fortified walls, I see what happens after the victory has been won. I struggle with this. As a pastor, it's very easy for me to just say, God, show me what to do, and not actually care about his heart. You just take care of the next task on my list. There's another way 
that is a roadblock for us. And that is shame. Do you ever feel like when you're praying, nothing's going to happen because you know all the things that you have done? And you think, God would never hear a prayer from me. Look at all this stuff in my life. God doesn't look out for people like that. See, prayer is where we get to bring all of ourselves, all of our shame, all of our issues to the table. And I know it's hard to own up and be honest sometimes with what's really going on in our hearts what's really going on in our world, or feel like we can't make a difference. I, I meet with people all the time that are like, hey, pastor, I don't want you um, telling anybody, but could you pray for me? Tell anybody what? Um, yeah, I, I have anxiety. You have what? Yeah, I don't want to have anxiety. Yeah, a lot of us have anxiety. It's okay. When you lay claim to it, guess what? You're not only praying for you, you're praying for all of those people that are having similar struggles. And instead of living with the shame on you, you get to have the shame off you. So it should never be shame on you for praying because your life isn't right. It should be shame off you to get your life right. And I would much rather be completely transparent and be on my knees before the Lord to see something happen than I would live in my shame and my own disgrace. Because when I am doing that, I'm praying with authority. My prayers are taking me above the ceiling. I'm meeting with the Almighty. Sometimes it aligns me with what God is wanting to do, the truth that God is wanting to tell me. And then it gets answered in weird ways. You get a new friend. You get a community of believers to do this with. So the band's going to come. And I want to ask you this morning, on your life, in your world, have you reduced God down to a resource rather than a relationship? Are you allowing shame or ritual to keep you from praying with all the authority of Christ. Here's the promise that Jesus made in John 17. I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. It's done. Whatever wall you're facing in front of you, Whatever issue you have, the life that God has for you is already yours for the taking. But this is the way to know it, to know the one true God. I want you to see this board over here. It's a canvas board that we get to write on. I told you I was going to ask you to do some crazy things. I want you to lay claim to a prayer. I'm sharing two of mine this week. 
First one is a facility. I'm praying for a facility for wayfinders. Not so that we don't have to set up and tear down. I actually don't care, and I could do that for a million years if that's what it took. But I think a facility changes the mindset of the people in our town to say, Wayfinders is here to stay, not here today and gone tomorrow. I also think what it does is it provides a space for us to do a different type of ministry that might meet the needs of different people because we have a space to do something different than we're currently doing above and beyond. I call it a facility rather than a building or a space of our own because whatever space we're in, I want it to facilitate God's presence going forward. So it will always be called that. Right now, we don't have the resources to fund that. I'm at the starting line. Today's a step of faith. I'm asking you to pray with me about that. I don't know what's going to happen, but I know the guy with a thousand hillsides worth of cattle. I'm praying for my marriage and marriages in general. I think it matters. Our relationships I think there's some healing that needs to take place. Some restoration that needs done. And can I just say that as much as I value and love my marriage, it can always be better. I want that for me. And I want that for my kids. And I want to be the legacy of Christ pouring into my kids. And that doesn't work unless I am praying for God to show me the best way to lay claim of the role that he's given me as a parent and as a husband. I'm praying these things in the authority of Jesus because that's been given to me. Sometimes I think it's this. Sometimes we don't really want to lay claim to the authority because we don't know the prayer behind the prayer. Do you guys know that there's a prayer behind the prayer? You're praying something, but the real thing is the prayer behind it. Going all the way back to Jesus' prayer in John 17, verse 3 says this, and this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God. To know you. It's more important for me to know what he wants so that I can be sure that I am praying in the authority of the one I'm praying from. And here's the outcome. When I align those two things and I'm asking God to show me and reveal and move, all of a sudden my creativity, my sparks, my actions are going to come because the Holy Spirit starts moving because I've just invited God's Spirit to lead my life. And so the outcome is Jesus moves us and Jesus enters into the reality. So whatever wall it is that you are facing, whatever thing that seems too high and too big, wherever miracle gap it is that you need moved in your life or in our world, you have already been given the okay and the outcome on the other side. So I want to lay claim to it. Might be 600 years, but I'm going to lay claim to it. I might have to tell some crazy stories about how we're going to march around some buildings.
I might have to say that I'm going to get crazy with how I handle my marriage and relationship. You might have to tell somebody some crazy stuff because that's what God says. But when you are doing it in the authority and power of Jesus, you know what happens? Walls crumble. Walls crumble. You and I are living in a promise. And so I want you to pray in that promise with the authority of Christ. So we're going to sing. And while we sing at any point, I want to invite you to come and lay claim to the promise or to the prayer that you are praying. And here's the thing. When you put it out there, guess what? I get to start praying with you. Someone else gets to start praying with you. And all of the sudden, there might be hundreds of prayers that are lifted up for that one thing. Do you think a hundred prayers is more powerful than one? Do you know what I found out on the island of Corregidor? Going all the way back. There are these giant guns. In fact, I have a picture with me standing on top of one like this. I actually couldn't get the whole gun in the picture because they are 28 feet of barrel. And the guns are so powerful, they shoot up to pinpoint accuracy for 11 miles protecting the Bay of Manila. I think what happens is when you start stacking lots of prayers together, it's kind of like you're taking that ammunition and instead of being rifle sized, all of a sudden it's 28 feet barrel sized and all of a sudden you can hit with pinpoint accuracy and you can sink ships that are coming to destroy you and you can tear down barriers that keep you from the life that God has for you. Lay claim to it because you and I have the authority of the Almighty. So would you stand and pray and make this your prayer and at any point go and lay claim to something that is on your heart and life on the wall.